are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is happening? Welcome to the Locked On Pistons podcast, your episode for Wednesday, May the 15th, and Zion finds his new home. This is your boy, Matt Shook, the host of the Locked On Pistons podcast, a sports writer here in the D, covering the NBA for the Detroit News and the Associated Press, Pistons fan and follower my whole life, and a sports newspaper reporter for over a decade as well. Well, closer to two decades, if we're being honest, but we'll stick with the tagline to make myself sound as young as possible. Thanks for the listen. Despite the scratchy voice, Las Vegas took away my throat. Uh, among other things, this weekend. So uh, we're going to deal with that as we continue on through this week, throughout the offseason. Today we're going to run down Tuesday's conference final opener. I have some thoughts. I haven't talked about the Warriors in the last few days on the podcast for a while. Uh, we're also going to talk about the NBA lottery and how it impacted the Pistons in a literal sense, which is real, on Tuesday, and then how the results impact uh, how the Pistons should have done their strategy going over the season, which is an asinine thing to, uh, to comment about. So, of course, we're going to get into that a little bit later, too. Um, give me a follow, by the way, on Twitter at Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, another underscore after that. Also, the Locked on Pistons Twitter account. And check us out on Facebook at Locked on Pistons dash Matt Shook. Next week, we will start the biggest Pistons fan in the world contest. I've got a bunch of you guys lined up. Emails will be coming your way. Uh, probably this weekend, possibly early next week, to, to kind of start talking about a schedule. What it is, the biggest Pistons fan in the world contest, you can still enter by sending me an email at matt underscore shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, at yahoo.com. Again, matt underscore shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, at yahoo.com. Send your name, where you live, and uh, also some times of a typical week when you might be available to do a 5-10 minute phone call where you will go up against another contestant in the Pistons fan in the world contest and have a single elimination trivia contest. Now, by single elimination, I mean um, you'll have one match, and the match will be several questions. So three out of five for the first round, four out of seven after that. In addition, I want you guys to send me in trivia questions that I will use on the contest in games that you are not participating in. Um, You want them to be about the Pistons, past, present, future, obviously. And uh, we're looking for ones that are a little bit tougher than your average trivia questions, but not impossible. you got to find that sweet spot where... You might know this, but it's not real easy to know this. So we'll see how this goes. I'm excited to find out who that biggest Pistons fan in the world is this offseason. So and send me along some questions if you have some. And like I said, i got 12 people lined up right now, hoping for 16. That would be nice if we could round that out and get that going early next week as well. We'll sprinkle in the matches throughout the next several weeks and uh, see how that goes, or next few weeks, I would imagine, and uh, see how that goes. Looking forward to seeing... Um, the knowledge dropped. And I, and I always love kind of listening to the, the radio shows and, and when there's a trivia question because then you could kind of play along at home and see if you could beat the people in the, the contest as well. So I think it would be fun for everyone. But anyway, people who did not have fun last night were Portland Trailblazers fans as the Warriors picked up the dub at home at Oracle, 116-94, to one nothing series lead in that one. 36 points for Steph Curry, 26 points for Clay Thompson in the victory. 12 points and 10 rebounds for Draymond Green. I have not talked about Golden State much since the Kevin Durant injury. I'd been out of town, and um, you know the, the game six happened against Houston, which, by the way, uh, Steph Curry unbelievable performance in that one. After going, um, there were he was scoreless in the first half, which was unbelievable, and then uh, checking out quite a bit of that second half, saw him uh, do his work. So 
Um, he's proving that maybe Steph Curry's not bad. Maybe he's not done, as maybe some people. And and again, I don't think there's a lot of people that you know. There's a lot. There's some of the. It's it's great. This is how the media works. Um, there's a, probably a little bit of a murmur that Steph Curry is um, uh, overrated or something because he has a couple of tough games at the beginning of that uh, Houston series, and then some people in the media take that and run with it to say that everyone's burying. Steph Curry, which is, I don't think is the case. I'm sure there's some haters out there. I'm sure there's a few. So then when he has this great, you know, great game in game six, or this great last three minutes in game six, puts it away, buries the Houston Rockets. Um, now it's like all these, and, and now the media, this is a media doing an impression of someone. All these people were trying to bury Steph Curry, and then he shows that he's not dead. Well, I don't think there was that many people burying Steph Curry. So uh, here's what we do. We're next level reacting. We're reacting to the reactions reaction here on the Lockdown Pistons podcast. I don't think there was a lot of people burying Steph Curry. I think most of us watched Steph Curry and thought, oh man, he had a bad couple of games shooting the threes. I'm sure he will return to making a lot of threes sooner rather than later. And uh, certainly I think those guys enjoyed the possibility of uh, getting Mac out of the, the middle of the stage and the spotlight with Durant being out. And, and again, I have, uh, I have given a lot of shade to Kevin Durant on this podcast and uh, throughout my uh, discourse with other NBA fans over the last few years. I want to be clear, of course. I never want anyone to get injured. I'm not that heartless of a person where I would sit there and, and uh, hope that someone would get injured. That's not how we do these things. And of course, that's I would I would hope that you would know that about me that uh, that would be the case. But is there a part of me that's enjoying this Warriors, uh, you know, two and zero since the injury and put away Houston in Game Five after he got hurt as well, and uh, took care of business on the road against Houston in Game Six. And although I am still rooting for the Portland Trailblazers in this series, I am taking a little bit of joy in the fact that Kevin Durant's uh, Warriors without Kevin Durant are handling business and looking just fine. Uh, almost as if they didn't need him to join them over these last few years. So again, if you're enjoying it like me, uh, we can take some solace. And, and there's a, there's a different thing between enjoying the fact that he's injured and in because that's not what we're doing, and enjoying the fact that uh, uh, he's kind of being downgraded legacy wise by the fact that his team is oh just fine without him on it. So anyway, um, another complaint about these this series, and it happens every year in the NBA where there's some trash game one and round two or round three because there's one day off after a game seven series. I remember this happened to the Red Wings uh, one year. They had to go out to San Jose after winning like a game seven. Two days before, they go out at San Jose on a Sunday night and just get buried because why, why would they not? I mean, it's it makes complete sense. You're in an emotional seven-game series. You get just you know plastered in, the, in game one on the road both times. Portland has to go to Denver uh, for a Game 7 win on uh, Sunday, and then they're back in Golden State getting ready for the best team of this era in, in a Game 1 situation on the road. And uh, not even the Golden State team you play all year because now it's you know without Kevin Durant, so it's a different team you got to get ready for. Um, I believe that things like Game 7, you, you want to enjoy that for 24 hours. Now, 24 hours, you're, <laughs> you're already – on the plane, you're already probably going through a walkthrough for the best team of this era. So how you, I don't know. It's and it's tough to amp up those emotional juices that quickly. It's impossible, even. And we saw goal, or we saw Portland play a poor game on Tuesday night. And what would we expect? Uh, we stretched these whole playoffs out. Now we can't 
get this right and give a team two days off in between games. And I know that TV is the reason for this. And we just, we've all accepted that at this fact and, and we can't even complain about it anymore because it's, it's laughable that TV just dominates the, the sports world like it does. But uh, the, I know that ESPN needs the West game certain nights and TNT needs the East game certain nights. But, uh, and on the complete other side of the spectrum, we got Milwaukee who hasn't played in like a week and we can't make things that are any better for them. We got to make them sit as long as possible. So that's what's going on tonight. Toronto at Milwaukee, game one of the Eastern Conference Finals. That's at 8.30 on TNT. Milwaukee, six-and-a-half-point favorites in game one tonight. You will see Toronto play a better game than Portland did on Tuesday night because of that extra day of rest. However, I just think that the, the disparity between these two teams, I've and again, I've probably been someone who's been um, bearish on uh, Toronto throughout the season, and I've probably been proven wrong at this point, so I'll, I'll take my medicine there. But I do believe that Milwaukee is just kind of like a, a at least a level or two better than Toronto, and that's just my, my opinion. I could be proven wrong yet again by Toronto, um, but I think we might have two pretty short series or two pretty non-competitive series here in the conference finals, as I just think Golden State's a level at least better than Portland, and I think that Milwaukee's a level at least better than Toronto. So I'm going to go for five games for Golden State, relatively easy gentleman's sweep, and probably also a five-game series win for Milwaukee, although that might turn into a a not-so-tough six, you know, the differences between a tough six-game series and a not-so-tough six-game series. So either five or a not-so-tough six for Milwaukee in that one. But up next, we're going to be talking about the results of the draft lottery, what that means for Detroit. And you can get the Locked on Pistons podcast on the brand new podcasting app, Himalaya, as well as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. When you get in your car, go ahead and tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Pistons. Yes, sir! All right, let's talk lottery a little bit later. I will tell you what the lottery didn't mean and what the most ridiculous takes from the evening were. But uh, really dramatic, right? I mean, I was watching just like you guys probably were. Uh, I like how, I mean, it's a show that gets a lot of flack just because, you know, you hold things to the very end. There's some uh, some goofy things that happen there with the lottery. But the way that they, you know, skip the four teams and present the, the non-winning lottery teams. So those four teams are now in suspense. And obviously this is a year where you can't just say, well, you might get, even if you're four, you could get like a Jaron Jackson or Marvin Bagley type. And, and that's not, you know, as good as one or two, but certainly you're still very happy. But uh, this was not the case for this year, obviously, especially with pick number four, um, the, a pretty big drop off in most people's eye, not only between one and two, but also between three and four. So just because you get in that top four doesn't mean you've absolutely won the day. Certainly it's a good thing and you want to be in the top four, but there is a huge difference between landing the number one pick in the draft and getting the fourth pick in the draft uh, this year in particular. So made it even more dramatic that teams like the Lakers, the Knicks, the Grizzlies, and the Pelicans land in the top four. Um, Let's talk about, let's start there and then we'll kind of move down the list. Uh, But yeah, when you got those top four teams, you've got the Knicks and the Lakers, two franchises that we can all agree are um, the two marquee franchises in the NBA, um, certainly the Lakers with all the success they've had over the years and the fact that they're the, the freaking L.A. Lakers, and the Knicks, that sleeping giant that everyone's talking about, the uh, the worst record in the NBA, had a 14% chance at the number one pick, something to keep in mind before we cry about Knicks fans or think about how they're getting screwed or something like that. And sure, over a decades-long um, discussion, 
maybe they are getting screwed as being fans of a moribund franchise, but still, 14% is 14%. So for them to end up getting the third pick in terms of how the odds fell in the lottery, actually pretty good night for them. Not that bad at all. So I'm not going to weep for New York Knicks fans who put all their hopes on the ping pong balls falling their way so they can get Zion Williamson. So again, you have the Knicks and the Lakers, two of the most marquee franchises in the league, and then you have the New Orleans Pelicans and the Memphis Grizzlies, two teams that, you know, I would not be shocked. I'm not breaking any news or suggesting that there's something imminent here, but I wouldn't be like out of my mind shocked if those teams are no longer existing in these cities in the next five, 10 years, New Orleans Pelicans and Memphis Grizzlies. Now the nights of the, the effect of last night could maybe change everything in New Orleans and breathe some more life into that team, especially things could have gone a pretty dark route for the Pelicans. If they would have traded Anthony Davis this summer, not won the lottery last night Ended up with you know the, the the eighth or ninth pick of the draft this year or something like that. Get a bunch of uh, spare parts, seventy five cents on the dollar for Davis in return. However, now you've got Zion Williamson coming to town in New Orleans. Uh, Shams Sharnia of the uh, the Athletic and the Stadium, who um, I don't know, he gets all the scoops. So obviously you got to give him some credit for that. But I haven't really. Uh, I'm not all that impressed with his his work otherwise. But uh, New Orleans Pelicans, uh, it sounds like that they're still going to trade Anthony Davis and that Anthony Davis' trade demands have not changed. I am not surprised by that. I I don't think that he was watching the lottery and thought, oh, I can play with another front court player and um, it's going to solve everything. Now, obviously, the fact that the Pelicans haven't been competitive and the team around him hasn't been great is probably one of the main reasons why he demanded a trade last year. But I think that he's probably looking at his life and his career, and in his mind, he's probably moved on from the situation, Zion or, or no Zion. So doesn't surprise me. I would imagine that the uh, Anthony Davis story is obviously going to be the big one going into the, the late June and early July at this point to see what happens and, and, and what the suitors look like and what the package offers look like and what the uh, Pelicans ultimately decide because I, I do believe that he still gets traded and that uh, he ends up in a, in a Boston, in L.A. or New York, probably not the Lakers because of the personal issues between the uh, the Pelicans front office and how the Lakers handled the trade deadline last year. Although we all know David Griffin now running the show for the Pelicans. So maybe that has changed that calculus a little bit in terms of what uh, the Pelicans will do with that asset going forward. Real quick though, Memphis number two, uh, we know that Ja Moran is probably the presumed number two pick. That's kind of uh, how everyone's fallen in. And and that uh, not only that, but that makes Mike Conley um, a lot more available for the Grizzlies going forward. I believe he was available at the trade deadline last year. There was all sorts of rumors on it. But the asking price was probably too high with what Memphis wanted, given the fact that uh, Conley has two more years of a, of a huge contract left on his plate. Now, of course, the Pistons were rumored to be involved in the Mike Conley sweepstakes before, and maybe this lowers the price, makes it a little bit more easy for Memphis to swallow losing him in terms of uh, moving on from an era of basketball, the only era of good basketball that had, that, that franchise has had with Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley. So makes it more available for the Pistons, which is a good thing if you're looking for that. Obviously, the Mike Conley uh, discussion is one that we've had on this show and probably one that we'll have some more this summer in terms of a, a point guard who's aging 
a Pistons roster who obviously could use a talent upgrade, but in a best case scenario, uh, more of a cost controlled, more of a um, you know forward thinking cost upgrade than maybe what Mike Conley would provide. But that's certainly an option that's out there and one that I know that many fans are very interested. Now those Knicks, R.J. Barrett um, probably going to be sitting there at number three for them. Although I don't, wouldn't be shocked. If um, Memphis decides, you know, let's roll with Mike Conley. We don't like the trade offers that we're getting for him. Let's keep him over these next two years and continue building on our wings and add R.J. Barrett to the mix. I'm going to not rule that out and say that maybe uh, Memphis possibly ends up with R.J. Barrett at the end of the day and that the New York Knicks get John Morant, which would be an interesting pickup for them. I mean, when I heard about R.J. Barrett going to the Knicks, I thought about uh, Kevin Knox already being there and thought, man, uh, uh, kind of a poor shooting High potential, um, but, you know, needs the ball in his hands kind of guy on the wing, similar size. Um, I thought, man, that's kind of a little bit of a duplicate. So the Knicks, I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's a third pick, uh, especially if it's R.J. Barrett or looking like it's going to be Barrett. Maybe that's a trade piece that they could possibly explore. If um, And obviously the Knicks, you need to take into consideration the, uh, the Kevin Durant factor too. So if you've already got Kevin Durant and Kevin Knox on the wing, do you really need R.J. Barrett there as well? Now, maybe uh, as I study Barrett's game here in the next few weeks, and obviously I didn't get a lot of looks at the Knicks this year because who did? Um, and Kevin Knox, maybe he's a little bit different of a player. But to me, on top of my head, that sounds like a little bit of a duplication there. And the Lakers, um, which looked like we're going to be the biggest winners on the night, um, we all had and, – and there's not a, a an ounce of me that thinks the NBA lottery is rigged, but – for dramatic effect for the Lakers to get up into the top four and then to actually get number four, which is a pretty big, significant step back from number three. Um, you know, you're talking about the Darius Garlands of the world, the DeAndre Hunters, those kind of players, as opposed to uh, what they could have gotten. Um, that would be a huge difference and a huge upgrade for the Lakers there at three as opposed to four. Now, some of the teams that ended up quote unquote losing the lottery. Cleveland, Phoenix, and Chicago Bulls, five, six, and seven. So great that the teams that tanked, and, and I know the Knicks got a semi reward at number three, but Cleveland, Phoenix, Chicago, teams that just uh, made a mockery of the NBA this year. Um, and I guess we, we can't really throw Jim Boylan into that mix, but uh, the Cavs in the Pistons division, Phoenix, a team that doesn't deserve any kind of karma for the way that they run their organization, and the Chicago Bulls, another team in the Pistons division, sitting at 5-7 and seven for the Central Division rivals. Pretty good. Pretty good for the Pistons. And really, as Tony East of the Pacers, uh, Locked on Pacers, pointed out on Twitter on Tuesday night, uh, and this goes for the Pistons too because of the Central Division uh, rivalry, but uh, the draft lottery could not have gone much better for the Pistons. You're sending Zion Williamson out west to New Orleans, so you don't have to deal with him. And then the Cavs and the Bulls don't get rewarded. They move down to 5-7. and seven. They're going to get decent players, but not the blue-chip type of players that they were hoping for. So that's good. Atlanta doesn't get rewarded either. They're at number 8. That's a good thing because that seems like a team that's going to be a factor in the Eastern Conference in a pretty big way going forward with a nice young nucleus of Trey Young and Kevin Herter and John Collins as well. So it's a team to watch out for. So glad that they're not getting any better. Same goes for Washington. Boston doesn't get lucky and uh, and end up getting um, – actually, Boston fans are probably um, telling themselves that they're happy with this because now they can get a better pick swap from Memphis next year. But for this year, they're going to be stuck at that 14 slot. So um, they've got – that's one of their first-round picks. But they didn't have the Memphis pick matriculate this year. So that um, – 
worked out for them in the long term, and they'll get a player there at 14 this year too. But wasn't the uh, the immediate uh, buoy of uh, of success that they could have had there. So you got Washington 9, Atlanta again at 10, Minnesota 11, uh, Charlotte at 12, another one that helps the Pistons. That's a red-letter team. We talk about the Pistons being stuck in the middle. Charlotte's been like the ultimate team stuck in the middle over these past few years. And then Miami doesn't get rewarded there at 13, Boston at 14. So the West gets stronger. You add John Morant probably and definitely Zion Williamson to the Western Conference and uh, you know the West gets stronger as it is, and the Pistons' first team on the outside of the lottery, sitting there at number 15. And up next, we're going to talk about what this lottery definitely did not mean. Some of the more ridiculous takes from the night here on the Locked On Pistons podcast. That's up next on the Locked On Network, your team every day. And now, before the lottery, I almost tweeted this. I almost said, "Now, reminder: whatever happens in this particular lottery has zero impact on what the Pistons should have done." or could have done in this past season. And, uh, you know, if there was a certain spot that you think the Pistons would have been at that got moved up, that doesn't really matter. You know, it's it's uh, the fact that how the results fall in a lottery the Pistons are not participating in. When we knew the odd, odds numbers coming in, we knew that there's a chance. If, if New Orleans has a 6% chance of getting the first pick, that means they have a 6% chance of getting that first pick. And that means that that certainly could happen. And that's what happened, obviously, last night. But... Uh, didn't see a lot of fans with uh, takes of uh, told you so because of this, that, and the other. And obviously you can take some of the teams that either hit or did not hit on the lottery and make it try to fit your argument. And I thought that'd be ridiculous. But I actually was about to go to bed and uh, after the, the Warriors-Blazers game and uh, thought that I had gotten through the whole night on Twitter without seeing anyone make that kind of tongue-in-cheek argument or making it even a serious argument until I saw, of course, three tweets from... Uh, 97 won the ticket, all from three different personalities on 97 won the ticket. That uh, and and one of them from Dan Leach that said, "See, uh, tanking's wrong because uh, the uh, the three teams that didn't get the pick, um, it doesn't work. Three of the four worst teams are not picking the top four, so it doesn't work. And that's not uh, proving that tanking doesn't work just because in this particular draft, none of those teams got the pick. Now, of course, Rieger responds to him, Jeff Rieger, and I like Dan, I like Jeff." Um, but, uh, and then Jeff comes back on the other side and says, no, um, what, you know, something about the bucks, uh, killing the Pistons, 95 points in four games. Yeah. That was really worth it to, uh, to get in there. And then bogey comes in and, uh, kind of comes in the middle of that and says, what we really wanted is to get into the middle of the lottery if possible, which didn't seem like it was actually going to be possible because those teams had already a big, um, advantage on the tanking quote unquote against the Pistons at the trade deadline, which would have been the time to maybe possibly do that. And that New Orleans kind of did that strategy of tanking from the uh, the draft or the uh, the trade deadline on, and it obviously worked out for them. Again, the 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 results of the lottery, it, whatever your opinion of, is tanking and rebuilding. Um, but I will say this: uh, you know, Dan Leach has a bit of a point, and not that the lottery proves that, but the fact that. The Cleveland Cavaliers and Chicago Bulls and New York Knicks and Phoenix Suns, that those fans had to sit through that and they're still not picking in the top four. I mean, that is like, and again, the results of last night do not change that. But I'm just saying, you're going to tank your entire season so that there's a 14% chance you get Zion Williamson. I just don't see the logic in that. I would rather try to give my fans a product that they can be proud of and would want to pay some money for over a 41-game home season. So um, that's where I'm at there. But it was great to see that not not the fans weren't the ones making the dumb argument that 
uh, the results of last night's lottery dictate what the Pistons should have done. But in, in, we had our radio station with, and it almost, it almost made me believe that it kind of reinforced the fact that these guys actually don't even really believe some of this stuff. It's just kind of performance art at this point uh, for some of it. And uh, we knew that going in, but I think we were kind of just reminded of that last night that, oh, oh, you know, because this and this happened and that proves that this and this move was right and that uh, the ping pong balls fell, which shows that uh, I was right about my idea of what the Pistons should and shouldn't do over these past several years. But that'll do it for our show. This is Matt Shook of the Locked On Pistons podcast saying thanks for listening. We're going to have a little bit of a, a – I'm going to be coming to you from Chicago with some reaction from the Milwaukee game tonight. Going to try to pre-tape the uh, little bit of a combine preview going into tomorrow. But you're going to have one more podcast coming up hopefully on Thursday overnight tonight. And I'll be in Chicago the rest of the week, so we'll come back on Monday with some uh, thoughts from the Combine and hopefully we'll get some bunch of good audio, a bunch of good articles that you can read from me through the Detroit News and other uh, mediums and other uh, platforms over the weekend as well. But this, again, this is your host, Matt Shook of the Lockdown Pistons Podcast, saying thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow.